All right. This section over here is having a good old time this morning. They don't need the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> good. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. What if we just did a Sunday morning where we did that? We're like, hey, just say, answer a question with someone, and we, that was it. You just were hanging out, and we didn't do anything else. I bet you wouldn't even know. You guys would just be like, oh, it's time to go home. Sweet. <laughs> That'd be fun. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, anyway, great, great to be here with you uh, this morning. A couple things before we get into the message. Um, I just wanted uh, to call out one of our teams. We, if you're around Seacoast, you may hear Love Antonius quite often. And we have a team that works at Sunset High School. It's an alternative high school in the community. And they do a lot of really fun things with them. And they had graduation week with Sunset this week. And uh, one of the things this team did, they, they host uh, a couple events and um, they hand wrote notes to all the graduating seniors this year, and I got some emails from the our teachers just, again, expressing their gratitude and just blown away by the personal touch and how the love of God is on display in those radical ways throughout teams. So uh, do we have any of our Sunset High School team in here this morning? I know there's some in first service. No? Oh, well, there's a, yeah, there you go. Peter, who actually leads the team? Way to go, Peter. Just thank you guys for taking the time um, to not only care for uh, students, but to take that next step of, of really making it a personal uh, ministry. I love that. Um, and the other thing I want to let you know about, a couple weeks ago, we uh, have this a little bit of the business. We had our uh, annual uh, budget that we put up for approval, as well as adding a new uh, member to our elder board, and both the budget and Matt Jarvinen uh, were approved with near unanimous votes. So again, just want to thank you guys as a church for uh, your support and your commitment to the vision and the future of Seacoast. And uh, even something like that we talked about was an act of worship. It's not just a, a legal requirement, and it's really fun to see the church saying, hey, we're about what God wants to do here and believing that he's calling us uh, to make a difference in this community. So thank you for being a part of that. Uh, we're going to jump into a new summer message now. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians um, in chapter 5. Galatians is kind of like three quarters of the way through your Bible. If you are new to Scripture, and what we call the New Testament, you're always welcome to use a digital version of it. And uh, that is completely acceptable here. So as you find your way there, let me pray for our morning. God, we thank you uh, for who you are in our lives. And I thank you for the truth that we've been reminded of already today. That God, it is your grace, it is your goodness, it's your spirit in us that changes us and shapes us. And God, we fall on you and your grace. And we thank you that in you there's freedom. It's not burden. And so Lord, would you shape and change our hearts? Every one of us today, we need to hear something from you. So speak to us today, God, and uh, help us be the community you're calling us to be through your spirit. In your name we give you this time, amen. All right, there's a, a professor, former professor of philosophy at USC, Dallas Willard. He said this, The most important thing in life is not what you accomplish, but it's what you become. Now, when you hear that phrase, the most important thing is not what you accomplish, but what you become. I, I was thinking about that as a Christian, and, and there's so much of our Christian life about what we're becoming as, as God is shaping and working and, and changing our hearts and our lives, that we go from one thing and we become something new. I was thinking, as we were thinking about that, I started, we were thinking about our summer series and, and what does it mean to become something new? What does it mean to grow? And uh, this summer we're going through a series called The Good Life. 
It's a study in the fruit of the Spirit. We're looking at what does it mean for the Spirit to work in our lives and to really to have us grow. They says that healthy, there's a saying that says healthy things grow. I was thinking about that, and I think that's true, but also unhealthy things sometimes grow too. I look at the weeds in my garden. They, they grow quite well in my garden. We know things like cancer. That's something we don't want, but it grows. So when we think of growth and healthy things growing, how do we create the environment where the right things grow? So this summer, that's what we're going to look at, the study of the, what is the Spirit's work in our lives, and what does that mean to grow as a Christian? Because if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, maybe you've heard the phrase, oh, I'm growing in my faith, or are you growing in your faith, or why am I the only one growing in my faith when everyone around me at this church, they're not growing in their faith? Maybe you're not a Christian, and you hear this phrase, and you think, I don't even know what that would mean to grow. And so we want to look at that. Now, we're calling it the good life. But notice, we're not calling it the easy life. We're not calling it the perfect life. We're not calling it the prosperous life, meaning that, hey, as a Christian, everything's going to go your way. But Jesus said this. He said that this, the thief, he was talking about Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus tells us is that the life that he gives us is abundant life. It's a good life. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, when humans were created and God breathed life into us, he didn't just say it's good, he said it's very good. And so we're intended to have this life in Christ that is very good. But it's not very easy, and it's not without trouble. In fact, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have many trials and troubles. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise, huh? So this summer, we want to look at what does it mean to allow the Spirit of God working in us and through us to experience the good life? Now, if you're not a Christian and you're exploring, I hope that this summer you'll hear something where you say, that's different. That's different than what I thought of before. That's not what I assumed about Christians. And hopefully what we'll find is we don't want to put a burden of more law on you and more rules and regulations and religion, but we want to set you free as we remind ourselves of the work of the Spirit in you. So that's what the intention for this summer is in this series that we're starting. Now, there's a temptation, though, for some of us. Some of us in here, if you take a personality test, we are achievers. Any fellow achievers out there with me? Yes, there's, I know, there are achievers out there. We, you should be the ones raising your hand, like, okay, is that something I need to do? I'll do it. Let's go. Now, achievers, for me, I, I'm an achiever, and it's always like, I can always do something better. That's just how I think about things. And it's, and, you know, from the musical Hamilton, it said, you're never satisfied. Sometimes I actually totally relate to that. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That's me. Like, you always want to get better. You become a Christian and say, oh, how can I be the best Christian possible? Or become a husband. I want to be the best husband possible. Or become a father. I want to be the best father. All of those things. And so when we go through a series like this, and we're going to talk about growth, the temptation is, okay, how can I, just tell me what to do, and I'll get this done. And actually, that doesn't scare me. It doesn't intimidate me, but I know that that's, that's my problem. <laughs> that I hear that, I'm like, yeah, just give me my checklist. I'll do it. But the temptation is that can become all about religion. And just tell me how to behave so I look right. But we want to go deeper than that this summer. 
And I believe scripture calls us to deeper than that. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. says this. Paul's writing and he says, The fruit of the Spirit, and this is the Holy Spirit in you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. So we don't need rules. We don't need a law because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I missed one in there on my, no, I got them all. Faithfulness. There's no law. These are the things. So we're going to study this this summer. And for us achievers, we don't want to just say, okay, this week, let's do love. I'll get that from a five to a 10. And then next week, which one are we doing? Joy. I'll increase my joy. This, and we're going to take a different approach as, a, as we study. But here's what I want to do. I just mentioned nine uh, characteristics described as a fruit of the Spirit. I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them which of those nine they're not very good at. Go ahead. Okay, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, okay, I got that. That's no problem. <laughs> it's funny when we are, it's interesting that this analogy that Paul uses, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, we see this analogy taken all the way through Scripture. In Psalm chapter 1, for example, it says, Blessed is he who, who is essentially meditating on the word of God and focusing on the word of God. He is like a tree planted by water who bears fruit in season. In John chapter 15, Jesus used an analogy. He said, I am the tree, you are the branches. Apart from me, you cannot bear fruit, but with me, you can. So this analogy through scripture is this analogy of that we produce fruit in our lives. And Paul calls it the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to think about this analogy for a second. Um, I like gardening. I actually, both of my parents were farmers um, and then growing up and then uh, before my dad joined the army. So I think in my blood, there's farming in my blood. So I like to grow things. Um, some of you out there say like, I, I can't grow anything. Like you don't, you know, the, there is no such thing as a green thumb and a brown thumb. Let me just tell you that. There's people who pay attention to what they planted and there's people who don't. Okay, that's, that's the difference right there. Can you write that down? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anybody could grow stuff, right? But when I grow things in my garden, and we have all kinds of things. I have a bunch of fruit trees and I like to grow a bunch of vegetables and all kinds of stuff. Now, when my tomatoes, for example, produce a tomato, did I grow that tomato? Am I the one that made that tomato actually appear and grow? The answer is no, I didn't. This tomato started at a seed, and the seed had all the DNA of a tomato in it. It had everything it needed to produce that fruit already in it. I didn't put that in it. I didn't say, okay, this bush is going to be a tomato bush, and this one's going to... None of that. It is what it is, and so the fruit is produced from what is inside of it. Now, what I do is I create an environment where the tomato can thrive, where it gets enough water, it gets the right soil, it gets sunshine, it gets all of that. That's what I can do, but I can't make it produce fruit. It does it comes from within. So Paul uses this analogy, the same analogy. Now, the problem is sometimes in our garden, it's difficult to create the right environment. Now, the best garden I ever had was in the spring of 2020. I was at home all the time, had nothing to do. <laughs> so there was no weeds 
And my, my garden was perfectly manicured and taken care of because I was with it all the time. It was fantastic. This year, I've been a little busier coaching baseball and just with things with life. And, and my garden is, is, let's just say until recently, it was not an environment producing very much fruit. And one of the things that I've been battling this year um, is this. I'll show you. One of the things right here. Oh, Yes my enemy right there. Uh, these things, it, it looks a little different than that, but these gophers that pop up and they have worked a whole network. I think there's 7 million of them that, that live along Encinitas Boulevard and they come into our neighborhood and they conquer and they found my garden. And I kid you not, I have seen, and maybe you've seen this, I had a whole tomato bush and I've watched the tomato bush get sucked into a hole. I thought that was only what happens on Winnie the Pooh, but no. I literally saw it get pulled in the hole, and I'm outside. They're like, are you kidding me? And I was yelling at this gopher, like right now in front of me? You've got to be kidding me. I, I couldn't kill him. All of the, I've tried everything. I even found my, um, some of my family, okay, they're a little bit redneck, but so some of my family, I, I found YouTube videos of how to kill gophers, and they're like, well, what you do? is you take your garden hose, you hook it to the exhaust on your lawnmower, and you put it down in the hole, and you'll kill the gophers. It's a pretty good idea, actually, isn't it? I'll tell you if it works. So anyway, um, I mean, I've tried all kinds of things. Finally, this year, I, I, or a couple weeks ago, I dug down like a foot, and I put a metal grate in their system so that it can't pop up. We'll see how it goes. But So that's one of my problems. Now, I have another problem fighting against me this year. Here's the other one. It's a one-year-old golden retriever. I have told him that he can't dig in the garden. I've shown him where I planted seeds, and I said, this is off limits, and he sits there looking at me, and, and he's not getting it. He's just not, and he knows, though, because when he digs, and I point to it and say, what did you do? His ears go back, and he gets down in the army crawl, and he comes up to me like, I just, I couldn't help it. That was dirt right there. So I'm fighting both of those things. One of them I will not use a garden hose with. But <laughs> the problem is sometimes when you're growing, trying to, we better take that off or no one's going to look at me. It's too cute. <laughs> when we're talking about something producing fruit, I can't make the fruit grow. But I can do everything I can to create the environment for growth. But sometimes there are other things that will fight against us and make it difficult. In the summer, that's some of what we want to look at. So before we even get deeper into Scripture, let me just give you a few thoughts about fruit, though, using this analogy throughout Scripture. First thing you want to know is fruit grows here, and we'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit, so these characteristics in our lives. It grows because of the Spirit. Fruit grows because of the Spirit. It is the DNA of, the, we're created in the image of God, so we have the ability to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, all of those things. But the Spirit in us is what will produce that fruit. The DNA of the fruit of the Spirit is within us. We don't, we can't inject it in there. We can't say, okay, I'm going to somehow make, I'm going to become loving. That's, I'm going to work on it and become loving. No, it's this fruit in us, the Spirit of God working in us, so that grows because of what is inside. The next thing about fruit is this. It grows gradually. 
Sometimes we can get really frustrated because growth doesn't happen quick enough. I've never planted anything and saw fruit pop up the next day. It just doesn't happen. And it's, I, I like planting beans because it takes like two days before you start to see them growing. But then it's two more months before there's any beans. It takes time. It grows gradually. Some of us get frustrated with our own life as a Christian because we feel like, ah, I have the same struggles over and over again. Maybe the people in your life are frustrated with you and say stuff like, aren't you a Christian now? Aren't you supposed to not be angry anymore? Aren't you supposed to be patient? What's wrong with you? Maybe you feel that way around the people around you. Oh, I thought they became a Christian. Why do they still live that way? Why do they still struggle? And we forget that sometimes, not sometimes, almost always, fruit grows slowly. Even those instant changes, some of you, maybe you were struggling with addiction and, and you became a Christian and you gave it all up overnight. My guess is you were exercising self-control and it probably was part of your personality that you can control things, right? But the actual fruit of that is going to take time for that to become natural, for God to produce that in you. So it takes time. And it might be unnoticeable for a while. What that should tell us is to give grace to ourselves and give grace to one another. Let's be very great. In fact, don't even worry about someone else's growth chart, okay? Don't line them up in your church and say, oh, here you are, I'm putting your mark on the wall. <laughs> Next, wait, how did you get smaller this week? What's going on here? It takes time. It's slow. Sometimes you don't even know you're growing until you're being tested. I mean, how do you even know you have more patience until you have kids? That's when you find that out. Have I grown in patience? Oh, okay. Or a one-year-old golden retriever. Either one of those will teach you. Have I grown in patience? Sometimes we don't know that we've grown until it's tested. So be patient with it. Give yourself grace. Give grace to others. The other thing we find uh, with a fruit and especially the fruit of the Spirit is this. It, it grows, this might not be the right grammar, but it grows linked together. So this is where the analogy with my garden is a little broken. My tomatoes can flourish and everything else could die. It's, so in my garden, it's not necessarily linked. But the fruit of the Spirit is actually linked together. Meaning, it's not that God, you're going to just produce in you and like, look at me, my love. Look at how much love I have. It's so huge, but I'm, I'm not gentle or kind. See, the fruit of the Spirit is actually, in Greek, it's this word karpos, and it's just, it's a singular word. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit. So the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, th these are nine characteristics. You could, probably could come up with a lot more. But these are characteristics that are embodied in the life of someone who's fully living, surrendered to the Spirit. This is the fruit that is on display, but it's linked together. And that should keep us from becoming too prideful, right? To say like, well, you know, I'm not a very kind and gentle person, but I am all these other ones. I'm seven for nine. That's pretty good. That's not how the fruit works. It's the Spirit's working and shaping and changing us, and they're linked together. And uh, this summer, we're actually going to uh, double-click on most of these words and kind of go word study and see how that they are linked and how without each other, they're actually false views or they're temporary examples of each. 
Now, I will say this. Some people might ask, what if I'm not a Christian? Can I have fruit of this? Can I not be loving, joyful, or any of those? The answer is no, I think you can. Remember, we're created in the image of God, and so these characteristics, are imbo- they're embedded in us. But I will say that the Spirit makes them come alive, and they become real. There's something that we can rely on that's being produced in us, and not something we have to keep forcing. And you see these false views of all this. We see very skewed view of what love looks like in our world. People say, this is what love is. Or this is what patience is. Or kindness looks like this. Or gentleness looks like this. And it's usually broken. It's not connected. It's not holistic. So those are some ideas. When we think of the fruit of the Spirit, we want to keep those in mind. And the idea is that we want to approach this just falling on the grace of God, but giving grace to one another and with humility, knowing that God is doing something in us. So here's the question for us today. What are the conditions that will allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives? How do we garden so the spirit, a Spirit-led life? So I want to just give you a few thoughts today. It's introductory, uh, just to get us on the track for the summer. So look at Galatians 5 again, and we're going to back it up now a little bit and start in verse 16. So Paul already meant, I already showed to you in verse 22 the fruit of the Spirit, but how did he get there? Back it up. Paul says, I say to you, walk in the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not able to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So what Paul starts off, and he's been talking about, in fact, the whole book of Galatians is this battle between, okay, now that we're Christians, what are the rules we need to follow? And some of us love that, right? Just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And the, and the Galatians were battling that, saying like, well, these are the rules. This will make you more of a Christian. You still have to be circumcised and you have to follow the old law and all of these things. So Paul's been debating with them and saying, no, but for freedom, you've been set free for Christ. It's a new life led by the Spirit. And then he says in verse 16, if you walk by the Spirit, you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. You don't need this law to tell you what's right and wrong anymore because you're walking by the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice something here, and if you like to take notes or underline or circle your Bible, I want you to notice the two words here, the Spirit, in verse 16, and flesh. Some of your Bibles might not say flesh. It might say sinful nature. Um, That's usually the other translation you'll see. Encircle those two. Because what Paul is addressing is this idea that there's two worlds that we're living in. There's the flesh and the spirit. And we've talked about that here before. So spirit, if you are a Christian, you've received the forgiveness of Jesus, we are told that you are now seen as holy. You are forgiven and you are holy. How many of you woke up this morning and said, I'm holy. I just know I'm holy. I feel holy. My parents think I'm holy. My spouse thinks I'm holy. Everyone. I walk down the street, and they're like, oof, that guy's glowing. We don't often feel holy, but we're told as Christians that we are seen in the eyes of God because of Jesus. We are fully righteous, and we are saints. We're holy. So that's our spiritual reality. We've often talked about it above the line. This is an eternal reality that's happening now and forever, meaning right now you are fully holy, and you always will be forgiven in Christ. But there's something that we talk about below this line where now we're living in the temporary. 
And in the temporary, we still have one foot in this world called the flesh or our sinful nature. As we live in this world, we're still in a world where things are broken. Look around. Would you agree that things are not as they're meant to be? Just the last couple weeks, as we see school shootings, we see a war in Europe, we see conflict in the Middle East, we have divisions and fighting in our own country. We look at all of this. We have things like the greatest mental health epidemic we've ever seen. We've had more drug overdoses in the last two years and on breaking records. Things are not as they should be. We're living in a broken world. So we're still affected by this world. And though we have a new identity, our spirit, our new selves, we still are battling this flesh or our old self. It's still part one foot in each world. And Paul recognizes that. And he says, the more we learn to rely and walk by the Spirit, the less we will give in to the desires of the flesh. Now, let's look at verse 19. And we're not going to go deep on this, but he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Use that word in a sentence today, sometime in conversation. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a list, isn't it? And he really has it in three sections. Just really quick, we're not going to go deep on it, but there's sexual sins at the beginning, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Then there's idolatry and witchcraft. It's actually a Greek word, pharmakia, which is used for um, what we get pharmacy from. It's talking about basically using drugs to get into a trance and try to control the spiritual world. These are all things that the church in Galatians were struggling with. So you think we're messed up? Come on. And then look at the last section. Most of the book of Galatians is about unity. And look at how much time he gives to the last section. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, all of these things. Relational issues. These are all acts of the flesh. Now, I want you to notice something about this list. And then he says, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me make a quick statement. This doesn't mean Christians, whoever do any of these things, are now unsaved. So it's not like, oh, I was saved by the grace of God. He gave his life for me. It poured, he poured out his grace on me. And then I envied that person, and now it's all over. My envy is so much greater than God's grace. No, that doesn't make any sense. What he's really saying is this, these are evidence of the works of the flesh lived out. And this is evidence of a life apart from Christ. Now, will we still stumble and fall in some of these areas? Yeah, you will. I can give you a guarantee. You will but we're covered by God's grace. So let's look at what he means by that. Or what, I want to show you a little deeper understanding of this. Look at the beginning of verse 19. The acts of the flesh, or some of your words, or translations might say the works of the flesh, or the works of the sinful nature. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the sinful nature. What he doesn't say is this is what's true of you. You are envious and idolaters and you are these things. That's why the fruit's showing. That's just who you are. No, it's the acts. It's the works. It's the outward display of walking in the flesh. 
And it's in contrast to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So one of them is actions that we step out and do when we surrender to our flesh. Those are our works of the flesh. And that's not what's true of us. Some of you are here today and you say, what's true of me is I'm a hateful person. What's true of me is I'm an addict. What's true of me is I have no self-control. What's true of me is, is I don't love people. What's true of me is I'm just not gentle. You, you come here and you think that's true. You may struggle with those things, but that's not who you are. Those are works of the sinful nature. But the fruit of the Spirit, what's true of you, what's already in you, is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, and self-control, faithfulness. I keep forgetting faithfulness. That's in you. That's what's true of you. So it's very intentional that Paul shows acts versus fruit. We want to rehearse that truth and remind ourselves no, I don't have to be someone who's unkind or impatient. That's not me. Actually, the Spirit in me is someone totally different. The fruit of the Spirit. So he gives that list, and then he goes into, but the fruit of the Spirit. He mentions all of those things. And then in verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So we live by the Spirit. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. So how do we actually do that then? See, Paul says those who belong to Christ, we've crucified our flesh. In fact, he says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul's writing, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life I now live, I live by faith. He didn't say the life I now live, I live by works. He didn't say I live by now I can please him. I can show him that I deserved his forgiveness. I deserved his sacrifice. I'm going to pay him back. He doesn't say any of that. He says I now live by faith in the Son of God, in the works of Christ, that what he did was enough. That's what I believe now. And I live by faith in that truth. So when we talk about religion and religious acts, it's simply changing your behaviors on the outside so it looks like you're growing. And we can all do that for a little while, right? We can say, I'm going to learn to become more patient, and I'm going to work on it and become more patient. I can fight for it. But true faith is learning to surrender to the Spirit so that we're shaped from the inside out. We want to learn to live by faith so that what happens is we start being transformed by the truth of God. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says this way, get this. You are saved by faith, not by fruit. But you're not saved by fruitless faith. You're saved by faith, not by fruit. So what you do doesn't save you, but you're not saved by fruitless faith. In other words, a a faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you And how he's working in you actually starts to produce fruit. It will. Now again, it might take time. It might be slow. You for sure are going to grow faster than everyone else around you. I guarantee you. (laughs) But we're not saved by fruitless faith. I like that. 
So, how do we create a garden where the fruit can grow? Again, that's what the summer will be about. But here's some thoughts. First, choosing flesh or spirit, choosing to live in the spirit, is easier when we have the mindset of knowing that we are already in Christ. It's so much easier when we remind ourselves every day that we are in Christ. We rehearse that identity of the grace of Jesus towards us. When we remind ourselves of that grace time and time again, we start to experience transformation. Look how Paul ends that again. Look at verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ, you are in Christ, you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Notice the two things he says that will help cultivate that garden. One, he said, we crucify the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, if there's a gopher in your garden, go kill the gopher. <laughs> Work on the garden. There are times when we crucify the flesh. We say, I don't want to give in to this anymore. And how do we do that? We keep in step with the Spirit. This is a military word, actually, for being march in step with. So it means like you're walking along and you're keeping the same cadence of the Spirit. It's intentional. You're saying, I want to be in step with what the Spirit of God is doing in my life. Now, what does the Spirit desire for you? The Spirit desires that you know Jesus. The Spirit has a passion for Jesus. Look back in verse 16. All in, it says, walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit. What does the Spirit desire? Desires that you know Jesus and what he's done for you. There's a passion that you may know the grace of God and his work in your life. That's what he wants for you. And it's a lot harder to seek after the flesh when you gaze on the beauty of Christ and what he's done. When we remind ourselves of the grace of God and his forgiveness poured out for us, it makes it really hard to say, God, thank you so much that you, of the patience you gave for me. I'm going to be so impatient with other people now. The more I dwell on your patience. Does that make sense? The more we gaze on the beauty of Christ and what's he, what he has done, we start to desire the things that he wants for us. But this takes some intentionality. I will tell you that. It takes some intentionality. You have to rehearse this truth all the time. One of the cool things about this summer, we're doing that discipleship journey. It's trying to train us to rehearse the truth of your identity in Christ. The other part of it is this. There are some of you, you need to take care of the gophers in your garden. Some of you have gophers in the garden, and you're like, ah, nothing's growing. I don't know why. If you're struggling with lust, and everything you watch and listen to and put in your mind is about lust, guess what? That gopher is going to eat your fruit. There's not, it's dead, okay? You're not going to grow anything in the garden. Sometimes you have to kill the gopher. Hook up the hose to your lawnmower. Get rid of those gophers. Sometimes you have to. If you're struggling with anger and you listen to, the, check out the music you're listening to and watch the, or the video games you're playing and how much time are you spending with those kind of things? Like, I don't know why I'm just raging all the time. <laughs> yeah, you might have to take care of the garden a little bit. The more we gaze on the beauty of Christ and fill our minds and our time with things from above, set our minds on Christ, wow. The Spirit starts to do a work in us. And it's the Spirit's work. And this isn't so that you can be saved. 
It's because you are. Because you are. I'm going to invite the band to make their way back up as we end our time. And as we end, I just want to remind you again, one of the temptations is to hear all this and to hear about the fruit of the Spirit and the work and then to go like, okay, what do I have to do again? What's the law? What's the rules that if I get it wrong, then I'm two steps back? We can quickly make it about religion. But let's remember, we're cultivating a garden of grace. When we understand the grace of God, that is, we know that even when we fall, when we stumble, we fall on God's grace. And we could say it's so amazing that you forgive me even in my undeserved state. And when we succeed, when you have a day where you went the whole day, you didn't sin once, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Except for pride and arrogance or whatever, but you can say, wow, look at your grace that you've changed and shaped me so much. It's a garden of grace. That's where the Spirit can work. And if you're not a Christian and you're here, what I want you to hear more than anything is that there's a life that God has for you, and it's not a life of religion. It's not a life of a bunch of rules. Hey, if you just sign up with us, we're going we're gonna to get you into boot camp and change you. It's a life where you will experience the amazing, abundant love that God has for you. And none of your mistakes None of your failures, none of your thoughts can outdo his love, his crazy love for you. We want to invite you into that. Because of Christ, we are alive. It's what he has done. It's his work on the cross that is enough for you. Let's remember that truth. It's not because of your perfection, not because of your works, because of you making yourself good enough. It's because of Christ. So you don't have to be perfect, but let's bank our hope in God's perfect love. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you that you want us to be free. I thank you that you didn't come to bring a burden. You came and said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. God, you invite us into a good life with you. So Lord, would you set us free through your spirit this week? Help us just remember the truth of your love and your grace and let that begin to shape and change us. And for anyone in here this morning who does not yet know you, would you continue to pursue them and their hearts and let them know that you are for them. And desperately want to shower your love and forgiveness and grace into their lives. So God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this church. Thank you for this family. In your name, amen.